0: This is Paul Nobles from Eat Perform, and I am with Dr. Susan Kleiner. And we have a really interesting topic today. One that honestly I feel like should be talked about a lot more, but especially as it relates to Eat Perform and the way that we kind of counsel people. Um, but let's do some accounting work real quick. Um, if you are looking to join Eat Perform and you are listening to these podcasts and you love them, just go to eatperform.com. We have a free trial. We have a a thing with meal plans. If you're kind of new to macros, that's a great way to get started. Um, Susan, why don't you tell them how to reach you and what books they might want to read and things of that nature. Uh, You
1: can come to my website at drskleiner.com. I'm on social media as at Power Eat. Facebook is Dr. Susan Kleiner. Uh, my book, The New Power Eating, seems to be extremely helpful for people. It's actually in its fifth edition. I'm very proud of the power eating legacy. And uh, there, you'll find other books there too, The Good Mood Diet, which my athletes kind of talk about as power eating light. Uh, for people who really are looking to understand more about the neurobiology of food and food and mood, uh, versus the physiology of exercise training and nutrition uh, strength power speed and uh, you know, building muscle and getting cut is what the new power eating is really about and also cross training so so that's my story and I'm gotcha. sticking
0: with it. <laughs> so thermic effective food yeah, you know, one of the things that I think is interesting about it, because we talk a lot about it as it relates to metabolism, because you know, oftentimes people have this thought pro. Well, first of all, if you're overweight, oftentimes you feel like your metabolism is slow, right? But if you're you're actually eating food, um, it's probably the opposite is true, right? Um, usually, if you're eating food, your there There's some mechanisms going on, but one of those mechanisms is typically not a low metabolism, right? Your metabolism, once you're eating food, spe- specifically because of thermic effect of food, typically is going to be a little bit higher, right? Can you talk about that a little bit and then just talk about thermic effect of food in general, which foods are more thermic <laughs> as we go, right um, and, and, and walk us through that a little bit.
1: So, the thermic effect of food actually means the, the heat production, the energy, the heat production from your body um, from the food that you eat, caused by the food that you eat. It's the, it's the metabolism, which it means the energy production of the food that you consume. And so, you, when you consume carbohydrates, we say, well, those in a, if we measure the calorie, Um, content of of a gram of carbohydrate, it contains four calories per gram. In your body, uh, it also takes additional energy. That's what the carbohydrate brings in is four calories per gram. But there is an additional 10% of your typical metabolic rate usage that is required to metabolize, to digest, absorb, and transport and utilize that gram of carbohydrate. So when we eat, we get about a 10% boost in our metabolic rate. That's the thermic effect of food. Now it doesn't last all day long. It's for a period of time. It's like you put you know, your foot on the gas, just a tiny bit more, you get a little bit of extra burn rate during the period of digestion and absorption, so um, the concept that if I don't eat at all, <laughs> um, I have a I'll have a higher metabolism than if I eat something is is not factual, and this is particularly important around I always say around exercise because that is where the most misguided behaviors occur, that if I don't eat anything after my exercise training for hours, I will maximize the calories that I burned during my exercise, and I won't blow them all by having a recovery meal, except you are in a deficit at the end of your exercise and you remain in that low energy well for hours on end and you never give your energy a boost by consuming the food that you need and the fuel that you need. And in addition, you don't get the extra gain or benefit of the thermic effect of food in that moment post-exercise when you're actually in recovery, which is burning more calories, not less. So so you capitalize on your post-exercise recovery burn, that burn rate that we know is enhanced after exercise, you get an extra 10% boost when you have your recovery meal right after exercise. That is kind of in a nutshell what the point is.
0: Yeah, the um, which one thing that drives me crazy is this idea that maintenance exists, right? So in theory, right, in the universe, there is in theory a number that you could eat on any given day that would keep you weight stable. The problem that you run into in this scenario is that you're gonna always default to lower when you're trying to do that, right? Because you're not, if you're just focused on weighing less, right, you're kind of missing the value of being hydrated to have an appropriate amount of potassium, appropriate amount of sodium, all these things that create the electrical bonds that allow you to be better at exercise and things of this nature, right? And so what ends up happening is all these little 10% that Susan was talking about, and then the ability to have more energy throughout the day, the ability to be better at exercise. I think the good majority of people, I would say, I'd say the the typical person who believes that they're in maintenance at let's say 1400 calories, right. They're working out at about 60% on their best days and about 40% most days. Right. So now all of a sudden you, you take the extra food, right. And then you take the extra work and you take the extra energy. And now all of a sudden you're building a, a calorie profile. That's 2,400 calories. Right. I'm just going to tell you what we see every single day. Right. Is we have a lot of people that come in and eat to perform and they think to themselves that they're under eating and they're really listening to our message. And so they buy into the concept that food is their friend. Okay. Awesome right? So now we start to give them food and they're like, Whoa, that's a little too much. I'm like, well, we're only at about 1300, right? How have you determined that 1300 is your number? And then what ends up happening, we had a great example. And I remember the person we, it's actually a very common case study that most people have seen, but there was this lady, Wendy, right. And she'd been a a chronic dieter for a long time. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I talked to her, she actually was going to cancel her membership, right? And I remember this so vividly. But the problem was is that, that we never really got her to a level where her calories was gonna be okay. And I, I said, look, I'll do this. Let's, just let me reverse you. Let me get you to the point where your calories are somewhat normal And then we can call it because where you are right now is just not helpful for you. Well, I think at that time she was at about 1200 to 1300. We were kind of playing in the deep or the the shallow end of the pool right now. She's at 2800 and she's lost about 10 pounds. Now let's just stop there. She just, the energy that she has now, the workouts that she has now, it's just different, right? So a lot of people go, well, I'm eating more and I'm not losing weight. Well, you might've came to us over consuming. Maybe that maybe your workouts were actually closer to 80 to 90%. Everyone's circumstances are a little bit different. So I don't want to like put Wendy out here and go, oh, eat 2,800 and you're gonna lose 10 pounds. I wouldn't say that that's the message I'm trying to give you. What I'm trying to give you, and what, what what Susan's trying to put out there as it relates to the thermic effect of food is that all these little numbers have a multiplier, right? And those multipliers allow you to do things that you really couldn't have considered. And I think what's happened a lot, a lot right? Because you were talking about your, your bodybuilders in, in one of the recent episodes, um, Talk to me a little bit about protein because because everyone talks about the thermic effect of protein and they sort of overdo it, right? Because now all of a sudden you have these 115 pound teenagers are eating 320 grams of protein, right? Because they don't want to gain weight, but they want to get ripped. And it's like, you're kind of missing out on a few, things. oh, and then their carbs are gone. Right. So, talk to me a little bit of why that is not the. I mean, certainly the thermic value of protein we know is high, right? Mm-hmm. But it. But that's only part of the story. Can you tell the rest of the story? Right. Well,
1: so it. You know, it sounds so much higher than. You know. Yes, it's a. It's higher than carbon, higher than fat, but the the fact is, carbon fat aren't at zero. So it's only the difference between those two, just to begin with. And as you said, overall, these are smaller amounts. However, when you're dieting and you're trying to control appetite and you're trying to hang on to lean body mass, protein at a higher level is smart. It's an advantage. It's a good thing to do. But when you make protein almost the exclusive macro in your diet, now, as a man, you have dropped your fat intake so low that your testosterone levels are going to drop. Well, that's not going to get you where you want to go on any plateau or platform that you want to be on. Well, uh, but that
0: would be that would be similar for women also, right? It's not right. Just, yeah. Right. Well,
1: for men it's testosterone levels. For women, it's it's other. You know, very low fat is also. Going to impact uh, reproductive hormones it it impacts, it impacts your your uh, central nervous system and your brain function that's for everybody, uh, you know so many things so um, so very low fat well, and
0: just to stop you for a second, a big one that we always hear about is menstruation, right mm-hmm. so you yeah, know you can actually lose your cycle as most women know when you go too low. And what's happening, or at least what we start to hear about, is you have these diets that are so reliant on protein, right, that are really super low in fat, really super low in carbohydrates. It's actually funny because the basis for like the original paleo diet, right, was, was you know, Lauren Cordain kind of had like the, the, the high protein, right? Low fat, low carb. And then eventually that kind of moved to being a little bit more fat friendly, right? Because you can only exist for so long with really super lean meats, right? Um, I, 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 I'm already seeing Susan get all whipped up. So so talk to me about what you're thinking. Because
1: Well, well just, to, just to begin with the fact that that was called the paleolithic diet that he, 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 um, published it as if it was, in fact, what people, what what our, our ancestors ate. And we just said that it, women lose reproductive function. So we wouldn't be here if that was truly the diet that they were actually following. So just to start with, but I don't want to get off on that tangent. Yes, but one of the other big factors for a woman is carbohydrate consumption as well, because without insulin response to the carbohydrate that you consume, you alter the the, the pathways in your body that stimulate the the production of all our reproductive hormones. And so... So your body has to know that there's fuel on board in order to be okay with um, being able to reproduce. And and our, our number one sort of top of the pyramid uh, hormone is insulin in that, in that place. So it's both carbohydrate and, I mean, everything's important. And you know that I kind of get on a bandwagon of the reductionist theory of only talking about macros and that that allows for people to eliminate whole food groups that, right. that are much more important than, than only their carbohydrate content. And we can, we can get carbohydrates from eating jelly beans, and that's not going to keep us healthy. So, so, so the, it, there's a whole story behind this. But when it comes to the thermic effect of food, and the conversation always seems to me to come back to, um, in a practical sense, your recovery meal or eating on a regular basis throughout right. the day. And certainly, you know, intermittent fasting has its place when done well and appropriately. There isn't data to say it's bad for you when done well and appropriately. It is a strategy and successful for many people. And there's all different huge ranges of how long your intermittent period is of fast and between eating and fasting. So that's not the topic for today. But, but having said that, the concept of the anabolic window for your recovery meal, we know that when it comes to actual muscle tissue growth. A lot of the research has been shown that that, you know, f- 30 to 45 minute, 30 to 60 minute window, some people was 15 to 45 minutes, but that, that window is not quite so critical as consuming good sort of amounts of protein and carbohydrate and calories throughout the day to allow your body to remain anabolic and tissue build all day. However, when you're dieting when you're dieting and you train hard you are not putting your food to work for you when you don't eat regularly and when you don't particularly eat immediately after exercise because it gives you an extra lift on your calorie burn when you eat and especially when you eat after training And not only do you get that extra calorie burn, but you actually do recover. You actually can act like a a relatively healthy, emotional human being the rest of the day. You sleep better. All the things that help your body operate to maximal capacity so you continue to burn as many calories as you can while you are in a deficit. So, So again, that's the whole concept that you get a boost, that you don't maximize your training effect, when you say, oh, I'm not gonna eat after my exercise so I get into a better deficit. You're actually in such a deficit that you're in such a hole, you can't even dig out of it. And you don't take advantage of the additional calorie burn that you can have.
0: So one of the, the things, actually, I'm not even sure that, that we've had this discussion. Um, one of the, the keys to eat reform, right, is that we have seven days, all those days vary. And the history of why they vary, we, we did a lot of testing and a lot of what would work and what, what didn't. And one of the things that happened, kind of similar to what you're talking about, was we had low days, medium days, high days and super days, right? And super days are the days that you're gonna eat the most flexibly, you're gonna have the most um, calories. And what would happen is when we, we sort of gave people their own uh, ability to kind of move those days. What happened was, is people go, I, did, I ran a marathon today, but not an ultra marathon. And so is today a low day, right? And so what would happen is, is you would have people that would just do low days. And, and the reason why I bring this up is because that's why we had to regulate it So that people would know the value, right? So a mutual friend of ours, um, Mike T. Nelson talks about metabolic flexibility where you're pushing more of your carbohydrates around the days that you're working out and more fats Mm -hmm. around the days where you're resting, right? And and to is probably the best example of this. Now, a lot of people will go, well, some days I work out, And that's also my highest days. And actually for me, my super day, the day that I have the most calories, actually is a rest day. Now that doesn't make any sense to most people listening. But if you think about the way that nutrients get absorbed, it takes up to 24 hours, sometimes even longer for certain foods, right? So what ends up happening is I have the majority of my calories, but my biggest volume is the next day, right? And that, but, but but the thing that people and the reason why I think it's important to mention is people go well, yeah, but your calories are low the next day. No, actually, my calories are reasonable the next day, right? That's what we view as a medium day, and I still have enough foods that I can have around my workouts to where you know I'm not overly catabolic, not using the window as you're talking about. And so people go well. Most of the programs that I've worked with in the past, they suggest two-to-one carbohydrates and protein. We agree. There is no disagreement there. But the difference between each form is that you're mostly eating in a way where you're not in this chronic deficit, right? Most people, most of these programs, right, that have people in these huge deficits all the time, these people are working out like like ten times a week because they want to get that 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 recovery drink right they, they, It gets to this place where they're earning food right and 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 that that to me is something you know we, we did a series on eating disorders and things of this nature. I think a lot of people don 't realize the kind of things that they're playing with when they're talking about dieting and especially when you start to follow these programs that are meant for bodybuilders and the process of bodybuilding and things of this nature, and then you're just applying them incorrectly, I think that's something that you gotta be really careful about as you are listening. So we, we do try to keep these short. The one thing that I do wanna talk about here, because the lowest thermic effect for food is typically gonna be fats. Is that, is that incorrect to say?
1: Uh, well, it, really it's car- carbs, then fats, then protein.
0: Okay. Um, so, yeah. so, but, but I just want to stop for a second because we, we've done three of these now, right. And we've been pro carb on all of these. Okay. I just want to tell you, if you're listening to this, we're also pro fats, right? The reason why most people that you listen to are anti fat or anti-carbohydrate is because you have to pick. This is similar to what we were talking about with the paleo diet, right? Well, once people were like, Oh my goodness, I don't have any I don't have any carbs and I don't have any fats and I'm eating lean protein, where's my energy coming from? It's like coming from nowhere, right? Right. So so that's why ultimately the paleo community ended up picking fat. Well they pitch fat because calories in that instance need to be in a deficit or need to be low to for you to lose weight or lose fat. Well, what I'm saying and what Susan's saying with a lot of what we're talking about is when you have all foods in an appropriate amount that the thermic effect of food is going to take care of a lot of this stuff as you go, right? And so if you're not constantly in a calorie deficit, it's going to allow you to function better as a human being. But here's the best part. When your calories are at a certain point, you can actually get to a deficit. If your calories are constantly low, it's very difficult to find a deficit. It's very difficult to lose fat in that instance because your body is basically just trying to survive on the most you yeah, the least possible available to you, right? So the case for fats, carbohydrates, and protein in adequate amounts is what we're making. And the reason why it's constantly brought up from our standpoint with carbohydrates, is because many of you out there aren't used to that message, but I need you to hear me when I say this. We are pro-fat also, right? Fat is favorable, right? But what happens is, is when you buy this narrative of fat is better or carbs are better or whatever, really balance is better, right? And what I think happens for a lot of people, you know, I remember one one CrossFit Games athlete (laughs) coming to me and we were trying to balance things out for him. And I just had him log for like three days. And he was eating in the neighborhood of about 350 grams of fat a day, right? And he was wondering why his performance was so bad, right? And then we just moved it to where it was, you know, about 115, right? And then his carbs ended up being around 380. And all of a sudden, he ended up losing 10 to 15 pounds relatively quickly, Right. Because what was happening was, is that he was viewing, you know, he's putting olive oil on everything and butter's great and drinking butter in the coffee and and this and that. And the, the, the overall energy was okay. But when it came to getting into the gym, he just didn't have that engine. Right. 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 And so I I didn't mean to dominate that, but I just, I just think what happens for a lot of programs like, like mine and, and somebody that reads like, you know, new power eating, um, they, they often think that, that we're down on fat and, and we're not, right? And so, as much as I want to let you comment on that, I'm going to let you end on this note quality of food, because I know that that's something that's really important to you. And I think that that's really important as it relates to the thermic effect of food and what people need to hear about that.
1: Yeah, well, and people who know me know I'm I'm not much anti anything. I'm I'm I I have a very positive approach to nutrition, uh, but food quality is critically important, and that's why when you focus only on macros versus talking about whole food, um, you can allow yourself to miss the the critically important foods uh, that keep our body. Uh, healthy that decrease inflammation that do that help you know sort of drive the engine so that we can do all the things we want to do we can experience all the things we want to experience and we can stay healthy and strong so so it is truly the stay of, you know to to promote in your diet as much as possible. Um, unprocessed or only lightly processed foods to include all the food groups from whole grains to dairy to nuts and seeds vegetables fruits and proteins and healthy fats as you heard me say nuts and seeds and in the new power eating i have a huge chapter on fats and i talk a lot about how critically important um, they are in the diet Um, and so, and when it comes to mood and, and mental function and mental energy and uh, coping with stress, um, anxiety, fat, and the proper fats in the diet that are critically important from fish oil to uh, monounsaturated fats to um, the, the you know, olive oils and all of that, all of that plays an important role. So so you will hear me talk much more about food um, and how important that is and much less about
0: anti-anything. So I have really good news for you because I don't know that you follow what goes on on the internet near as much as I do. The good news is, is there used to be, so what, what Susan's sort of referring to, or at least I think what you're referring to, I don't mean to put words mm-hmm. in your mouth. But I think what she's referring to is this Pop-Tart, right? Style of macro eating, right? Where, where, and I don't know how Pop-Tarts became the thing, but it did, right? Um, and I would say this is probably three to five years ago, that was a big momentum. And that as long as you ate within certain parameters, but there was not an emphasis on quality of food. In the last two years, I would say that the quality of food, I know for certain for each to reform we're big advocates for this, mm-hmm. um, but I would say the good majority of programs that are focused on macros are also now focused on quality of food. So that's probably something that maybe you don't know. Now, I do understand that there still is this strong Pop Tart movement, especially within bodybuilding. And what ends up happening is like, you know, and I I kinda kind of make fun of it a little bit, but it's like yeah, you're eating half of a Pop-Tart, but you're really not living kind of life in the way that most people would want to live life. It's like that's great that you had half a Pop Tart, but you know, over here, I'm working out, going to the gym, having pizza on date night, things of this nature. That's the kind of life that most people are trying to aspire towards, right? So, all right. Well, this was great. We did three of these. I don't know whether or not I'm going to release them all. I think I'm probably just going to release them all at once because people, you know, just are interested in this type of content. But, um, we're probably going to just do these in bursts, maybe once a month where we, we get, you know, a couple of these podcasts out there that are topics. And so if you have a topic and you want to bring it to me within the private groups within of the Reform, bring it up and Susan and I will talk about it. So I appreciate everybody being here and listening to these. These have been fun to do and we'll try and get you more like this. Susan. Have a great weekend, and I hope you have a lot of fun and enjoy the last parts of our summer. I know a lot of people are going to be listening to this in January, <laughs> and they're going to go, what are they talking about with summer? Um, but yes, it is currently summer of 2020, and um, we're all social distancing. We're all wearing summer
1: that. The summer to
0: forget. Yeah, the summer to <laughs> forget. All right. Well, I appreciate you being here. I appreciate you doing this and uh, have a great weekend. You too, Paul. Thanks. Talk to you later.